Father's Day, as you get as a, being a grandfather and a father, and one of the things I love about being a grandfather as you get old is you don't really care whether your your kids and your grandkids laugh at your jokes or not. You're going to make them anyway, so either they're going to like it or they they don't. So I got a couple of quick Father's Day jokes for you. You know why golfers carry two pairs of pants with them? In case they get a hole in one. <laughs> See, that's a Father's Day joke because nobody thinks it's funny. But you. My sweet wife's always telling me, you got to get some new material. She said, we've all heard that. I said, it really don't matter to me, Mary, because I'm, I'm going to do it anyway. So. All right, you, you know what? Uh, chi why chickens, let me get it right. What's a chicken's least favorite day of the week? Friday. There you go. Why do chickens hate Friday? I got a million of them. You probably don't want to hear them, but take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 115. We're going to look at the latter half. We looked at the beginning of it last week. And today we're going to look at the latter half of Psalm 115, and it really ties in well with celebrating Father's Day because one of the things that is most significant for us as Christians, I know in my life it was true when I became a Christian at age 16, my family was not a, a, a Christian family. My dad I had no interest in the things of God whatsoever, never went to church. My mom took us to church, but it wasn't a church where the word of God was preached. It was just more of a social thing, and my dad had absolutely no interest at all. It was never brought up in our home. We didn't talk about it, wasn't discussed, and I had no real relationship with my father. And then at age 16, uh, I visited another church with a, a kid that I played basketball with and heard the gospel for the first time, and I was just enamored with what the guy had to say that I could know God in, in a personal way because God to me had always been the man upstairs or the big guy in the sky the, he, that was going to get me if I wasn't a good boy, which is pretty much what I'd been told. You better be good because do the best you can and hope your scales balance out to the good when you die and then you get to go to heaven. And the truth is most people, even people who attend church on a regular basis, if they'll give you an honest answer, if you look them in the eye and say, if you died right now, if you drop dead, are you going to heaven? Most people's response is going to be, I hope so. If that's your response, you probably ain't going. Amen. To be real frank, a Christian is someone, if asked that question, says, absolutely I'm going, or God is a liar. Cameron quoted one of my favorite verses earlier, Romans 5, 8. While we were yet sinners, if you read that whole chapter, in rebellion, godless, helpless, did no interest in God whatsoever, while we were yet in our sin, what did Christ do? Died for us. We talked about this a little bit last week. The reason I know I'm going to heaven is my faith is in what Jesus did, not what Randy has done. I can never be good enough. There are none righteous. No, not one. I didn't say that. Who said it? God did. 
all your works are filthy rags. So it doesn't matter if you're the Pope, if you're Mother Teresa, or you're Adolf Hitler. You're not going to heaven unless you have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what sin is, missing the mark. That's what the word means. It's that no matter, and again, for me growing up, it was, I got to be a good boy or the man upstairs is going to get me. And then when I was introduced to the gospel and understood for the first time grace, I was like, wow, I want that. And I got saved, and one of the first things I learned in John Latimer was, Brother John was my youth pastor. And one of the first things I learned was, I might not have an earthly relationship with my father, and I did not. It got better later in life, much better. I had no relationship with him, left home, 19, left home, and uh, I didn't care if I ever saw him again. Now, as a Christian, I made amends to that, and later on, and we had a good relationship after my mom died. But the thing, the first thing that I learned that really caught my mind and attention, and it has a lot to do with Father's Day, was that even if you have no relationship with your earthly father, if you're a Christian, what do you have? You got a heavenly father. You got a heavenly father, how's he described in the Bible? Only gives good and perfect gifts. Always there for you. Loves you unconditionally. Will never leave you. Will never forsake you. Will always do what's best for you. Now notice, I did not say he'll always do what you want him to do. Which, by the way, we have many brethren who preach that. That's not what the Bible says. He will only do and will always do what's best for you. Which is not, as a child, that's not always what I want, is it? But he doesn't make mistakes. So as we look at Psalm 115, transitioning from what we looked at last week, as we're thinking about last week, we were talking about who is our God? Where is our God? This week we're going to talk about who is he? Who is your father? Not the man even though he is. And what's really cool about it is my dad, my father, created the universe. Whoa. Remember when you were a kid? And you, always, you wanted to go, I remember going to Godwin Park in East Memphis because we lived a stone's throw from it. I'd go over and play basketball and hang out. They even had a pool. It was, you know, it was literally a stone's throw from my house. I remember going over and hanging out. And you always wanted to get, and even though I didn't have a relationship with my dad, what you always want to say, my dad can whip your dad. My dad's bigger than your dad. My dad fought in World War II. My dad can whip your dad any day. Now, as a Christian, I can say that, and what do I know? Darn straight he can't. Because he owns the universe. He not only owns it, he's all-powerful over it. He's the one who sustains it. He is eternal, self-existent, all-powerful, knows everything. Uh-oh. He knows everything, and he sees the end from the beginning, the idea of being eternal again. Nothing catches him off guard. 
is. I love the passage in Exodus 3 when he's telling Moses, I want you to go tell my Pharaoh to let my people go. And he was like, Moses was like, you want me to do that? I'm a stutterer. You don't want to send me. And he said, Moses, you go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And he said, well, who am I going to tell him you are? I love Exodus 3.14. What does God say? My name is I am. And Pharaoh's going to find out I am and he ain't. That's my part. I added that up. And Pharaoh found it out, as did every king to follow. I want to read you some verses to transition to what we're going to look at today in Psalm 115 from last week. That's where is our God into who is he? Psalm 103. You don't have to turn to any of these. Just listen if you would. Psalm 103. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld. Job speaking to God. Isaiah says, remember the former things of old for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things that are not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand. I will do all my pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east. The man who executes my counsel, God speaking, from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it. I will bring it to pass. I purposed it. I will do it. Again, Isaiah. My thoughts are not your thoughts. You've heard this. My ways are not your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, my thoughts than yours. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven do not, and do not return there, but water the earth, and they make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me void. It shall accomplish what I please, what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. And then finally from Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and, and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? End quote. Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful man in the world at that moment in time. And God got his attention and turned him into a mute animal for a period of time. And when he came out of it, he just he said what I just read to you. I get it now. I'm going to paraphrase it for you. What Nebuchadnezzar said was, I get it now. You see it throughout the book of Daniel. King after king after king. The God of Daniel is God. And there is no other. And I get it now. I see it. 
Now, Psalm 115. Who is our God? On a personal level, as your father, who is our God? Number one, there on your handout, he's all we need. He's all we need. I'm going to give you a little, I'm not going to do it today, but I want you to write this down. A little homework for you to do. I'll check with you next week. If you haven't done your homework, don't tell me the dog ate it. All right. I want you to write this down. I want you to read it this week. That's all you got to do. You ready? If you don't have a pen, you can borrow one from somebody. Find one in the chair. Psalm 73. Just read it. You may want to read it several times. It's, it's beautiful. The psalm of Asaph. <coughs> Asaph crying out to God, where are you? Everything, everybody around, every, all the evil around me looks like they're winning. Where are you? And at the end of it, Asaph says, I see now when he got alone with God, he realized you're all I need. I got to trust you where we were last week. All right, verse 8, God is all we need. Look at verse 8 where we left off last week. Psalm 115, verse 8. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. And he's talking about idols, where we ended up, where we ended up last week. If my trust as a human being is in idols, in this case he describes them, that they're dead. This context leading up to verse 8, we're not going to read that. They're dead, they're lifeless, they're blind, they're deaf, they're dumb, they're insensitive, they're useless, they're powerless, they're mute. Totally inept. Is that where you want to put your faith? No. Sounds like some of the guys I went to school with. But do you, do you want to put your faith in that? That's what the psalmist is saying. Again, we don't know who wrote Psalm 115, but I know they celebrated it at Passover, the redemption of God, that period, that festival. Here's what he's saying. The, the pagans on planet Earth, they've got all kinds of idols. They're totally inept. They can't solve your problems. They can't be there for you. They don't own the universe. I do. They're not omnipotent. I am. They're not omniscient. I am. They're not omnipresent. I am. You better listen and follow me. In Revelation, one of the things that you read early on in Revelation, giving the message to the churches, chapters 1, 2, and 3, repeated over and over again from the lips of Jesus Christ is the following little phrase. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, again, I'll give you the Randy paraphrase. You know what God is saying in Revelation? Right here in Isaiah, throughout the Bible, you know what he's saying? I gave you ears. Why don't you use them? I gave you eyes. Why don't you use them? Look around. Listen to me. I've proven myself over and over again that I am and there is no other. Why do you keep chasing after something that does not exist? You will not find peace, God says, anyplace else. I love the Upper Room Discourse. Most of you know I love the book of John. In the upper room discord, John 13 through 17, when Jesus has got those 11 guys and he's getting them ready to go away, they celebrate the Passover meal, he institutes the Lord's Supper, he's giving them all these great principles of the faith to carry on after I'm gone, he'll transform the world, 
And all they're thinking is, where are you going? Don't go. We thought you were the Messiah. And he keeps saying to them over and over, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. Over and over in that four chapters, John 13 through 17. If you believe in God, believe also in me. And then in John 14, he says these incredible words. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. He says, this is my legacy to you. I'm going to give you the one thing that everybody wants and you can't get anywhere else in the world. I'm going to give you peace. And then the New Testament describes it this way. Peace with God. A child, you become born again. You're no longer his enemy like Romans 5 talks about. You become his child. You're in the family. Peace with God. Who you are. That's your status. That's your position in Christ. Child of God. And then Philippians talks about the peace of God. Peace with God. That's who you are. Peace of God. That's how you live. And it passes Philippians all understanding. Humans can't grip it. But the Holy Spirit can give it to you. And you cannot get it anywhere else. Hope can't get anywhere else. So verse 8. If you're going to follow idols, you're going to be just like them. They're not going to do you any good. And you're going to be ultimately frustrated. You're not going to know what to do. And instead of praying, Lord, your will be done, here's what you're going to be praying. My will be done. My will be done. I told you last week, so see if you were paying attention last week. What's the theme of all scripture? Uh-oh, nobody was paying attention. I hate to go back and do that whole sermon again. But the theme of all scripture, I'll give you a hint. It's in one of the minor prophets. That didn't do you any good, did it? Habakkuk, very good. By the way, just a little side note, it doesn't cost you anything. You know why they're called minor prophets? Because they're shorter. That's deep, isn't it? Most of them are about five two, five foot, shorter. Ow, ow, ow. Joke. Minor prophets, smaller. They're not long like Ezekiel and Isaiah and Daniel. They're short. Two or three chapters. Theme is in Habakkuk 2 4. Does that help? No. The righteous shall live by faith. That is the theme of the Bible. And the righteous does not mean the really good people, the ones who really. Go to church and do all the stuff they're supposed to. No, that's not what it means. You know what the, who the righteous are? Those who know God. With their flaws, their sin, their, sin, their imperfections. You go through the Bible, all the people God used were sinners. They weren't perfect. You know what? They were just like us. That's why I love the Bible. It's so real. Jesus didn't go ahead, didn't, Jesus didn't pick the ones everybody thought he should pick. I love the story of Zacchaeus. What was their attitude toward tax collectors? Ah! Kind of like ours is. Stay away from them. And Zacchaeus was really hated because he was a Jew who worked with them. And Jesus said, come on down, Zacchaeus. Today I want to eat lunch with you. 
That's what God does. I know you're not perfect. I love the story of Peter after letting Jesus down. Incredibly, Jesus said, come here. I need you to feed my sheep. And he wasn't ready yet. Still wasn't ready. He was a bigot even at that point. And Jesus said, I got something for you to do. You know what he says to me and he says to you? Again, if you miss everything I say today, get this. If you trust me, I got a plan for you. You may not think you're good enough. Guess what? You are. You may not think you're capable. Guess what? I'll make you capable. Doesn't mean you're going to do what somebody else does. I want you to do what I want you to do. You're different. I don't want you to do what somebody else is doing. I want you to do what I want you to do. And if you look through scripture, you see it. We're going to talk about one of these guys next week. People who nobody thought anything of and did incredible things for the kingdom of God. Think about it, even in history. Tell me the name of the guy that led Billy Graham to Jesus. Anybody know his name? Maybe. One person knows? Huh. You never know. All right, back to Psalm 115. Our God is all we need. Put your hand out. Verse 9. He's our trust. The righteous live by faith. Trust. Same word. Verse 9. Oh, Israel, trust in the Lord. He's their help and their shield. Oh, house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He's their help and shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. He's our trust. Notice. Really cool how they do things in Hebrew. Three groups are mentioned in verses 9 through 11. Three groups. Israel, the house of Aaron, and you who fear the Lord. Please don't miss this picture. Israel, God's covenant people, through whom he was going to do incredible things, bring the Messiah in the history. The vi- it's a picture of the visible church. Secondly, house of Aaron, those are the leaders where the priests came from, the house of Aaron. So you've got everybody, you've got the leaders, and then finally he says in verse 11, you who fear the Lord. In, one, in a, any group, church group, you have all three. You've got everybody, you've got the leaders, and then you've got the ones who know God. You who fear the Lord, trust him, are in awe of him. So he mentions three groups that covers everybody. Three groups. Then three times, notice in verses 9 through 11, three times he gives an exhortation to all three groups. Look what he says. Trust in the Lord. Not yourself. In context, not your idol. Most people have one idol. You know what it is? Self. Self. And usually manifests itself in money. It's about me. As long as God is willing to do it, and by the way, there's a whole group of people that preach this. As long as God is willing to do what I want him to do, I'm fine with that. 
But when he's not on board with me, I ain't on board with him. But here's what he's saying. You want to know God? You want to be at peace? You want to have hope? You want to have purpose? You want to understand what it really means to love another human being? You got to know God through the person of Jesus Christ. Three times, he says, to three groups. And it's not an accident that the threes are there. Put this together, Hebrew parallelism, trust in the Lord. Most people trust in self. Doesn't work. Trust in the Lord. or Whatever your idol is, get rid of it. They're totally in it. We've already seen that. Trust in the Lord. And then three times, you got a three, three groups to mention. You got a three-time exhortation. And then you got a three-time promise. The Lord is your help and shield. He will protect you. And he will defend you. That's the picture. Your help, he will provide your protection. And your shield, he will defend you. Now listen, we just mentioned it earlier. How powerful is your father? He's all powerful. How much of the universe does he own? All of it. So when you go to, to fight, don't you think you might want him on your side? And by the way, if he's on your side, can you lose? No. So he's saying, you trust me, I'm your help and shield. You don't have to worry about whether you're going to win or not. You've already won. But that's the picture of Calvary and the, and the resurrection. We've already won because Jesus rose from the dead. He's our protector. He's our defender. Remember the context of Psalm 115, back talking about those idols. They got eyes, but they can't. They got ears, but they can't. They got hands, but they can't do anything. But your God sees all, knows all, is everywhere, and can do whatever you need. He can do it. Trust him. That's the theme. He's your help and shield. All three groups. For example, if you're in the big group and you're a non-believer, talked about you had the big group, the leaders, and then you had believers. If you're a non-believer, what does trust have to do for you? How'd you get saved? You placed your faith in, how do you get saved? You place your faith in Jesus Christ. Trust. Begins with trust. Romans talks about it this way. From faith to faith. I was born again, my case, 52 years ago, 1970, April 1970. I was born again. So here I am 52 years later, from faith, by faith, to faith. At some point in time, I will die. We mentioned it earlier today. And I know because of whom I have believed that he is able to keep what I've committed unto him against that day. So when I die, because I exercise faith in Jesus Christ and I was born again on April 19, 1970, because I am a child of God by faith and I'm living by faith, not perfect, when I die, I know I spend eternity with him because I trust him. Not to lie to me. And because he is trustworthy. Now, verse 12. So he's our trust. He's also our blessing. Look at verse 12. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord. 
little small and great. There he goes again. For all the groups, for all the groups, he will bless. He'll bless those who fear him, small and great. May the Lord give you increase more and more. You and your children, may you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. For all the groups, he will bless you, take care of you, provide for you, be there for you. Why? Look at verse 15 again, 14, excuse me, 14. May the Lord give you increase more and more, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. He is the omnipotent creator of the universe. That's emphasized here in Hebrew, his power, his power. Now, verse 16, number two in your handout. Who is he? He's always with us. I love that about God. That's in his nature. He's always with us. Verse 16, the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's. He owns the universe, but the earth he's given to the children of men. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor, nor any who go down into silence, but we, believers, will bless the Lord from this time forth and evermore. He's always with us. Always with us. Jesus Christ said the following words. You remember the Great Commission? Last thing he said before he left the planet was what? Go into all the world and do what? Make learner followers of me, disciples. What did he say after that? And then what did he say after that? I'm with you always. I'm with you always. Even to the end, I'm with you. And just prior to the Great Commission, do you remember what he said prior to the Great Commission? All authority has been given to me on heaven, in heaven, and on earth. In other words, I am omnipotent over what? The universe. Everything. Now, this is your job. You trust me, the one who is omnipotent over the universe, you go out and make disciples, and I'll be with you. And then he said, he'd already promised him, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit to be with you and in you. I'm going to be with you. And by the way, when he said, I'll send you the Holy Spirit in the upper room discourse in Greek, what he said was, I'm going to send you another one just like me. God, the Spirit. I'm God, the Son. The Father made you a promise. I hope you see the Trinity there. I'm going to do this, and God, the Holy Spirit, is going to come. Pentecost, the church age. We're still in it, and the commission has not changed. But the beautiful thing about our God is that he never changes. He's immutable. So when Jesus said, I'm going to be with you always, what does that mean? I'm going to be with you always. I'm not real smart, but I picked up on that. I'm going to be with you, even though sometimes you may not think I am. I am there always. I will, another, another quote from Jesus, I will not leave you orphans. I love that. Metaphorical picture. I will not leave you orphans. Always have me. Created the heavens, created the earth, and he gave us the earth to manage. What a great picture. Now we've ruined it in many ways, but he gave it to us. You 
read the story of creation, the highest thing God created was me and you, human beings. The only thing he created in his image, human beings. The only thing they know him personally, a relationship, father, child, versus creator, human beings. Someone has wisely said, there are only two things on planet Earth that you can see now, right now, is this Father's Day and every other day that you can see again after you die. What are they? One of them will be easy to explain. You can see them today. You'll see them again after you die. Number one is people. People. I will see the church and every believer in, in, throughout history going all the way back to Adam when I die in heaven. Will I see every human being? No. But I'll see those who know God, those who trust God. What's the other thing? That one's a little harder, isn't it? You know what the other thing is? The Word of God. The Word of God. So therefore, the two things we should focus on the most as Christians, children of God, while we're on planet Earth, are other people and the Word of God. How can I articulate, live, model, and share the Word of God with other people so that they can know Christ? Not preach to them, share. Although preach in a good connotation, what the word originally means, is a good thing, not a bad thing. It simply means to speak forth truth in a loving, compassionate, respectful way. I want to give you a few examples and then we're done. You see the on the screen. He's always with us, number one, in the midst of our storm. Whatever your storm is, he's with you. Doesn't mean he takes the storm away, does it? What does it mean? He's with you in the middle of it. Mark chapter 4, the Bible says, A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat the boat, so it was already filling. He was in the stern, Jesus, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he arose and he rebuked the wind. I love this. He rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. I hope you get that. I love to read the Bible and just simple things. He told the wind what to do. And it obeyed him. Oh my God. Who is this guy? He's God. He told the Sea of Galilee, calm down. And it did what? It calmed down. I can't even get my kids or grandkids to do that. He tells the wind what to do. And it obeys him. Would you, said last week, would you not trust that God? You better. Nobody, you know anybody else that could do that? Other than Bear Bryant. You know anybody else that could walk on water? No, trust him. He's God. Secondly, in the midst of your test, Genesis, the angel of the Lord, Jesus pre-incarnate appearance uh, to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the lad. Talking about uh, Isaac. Do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God 
that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and he looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and he took the ram and he offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. Wow, you could preach on that for a while, couldn't you? The provisional, substitutionary atonement God provided. You know what that's a picture of? Jesus Christ. I love that story for a lot of reasons. You know, one, because I'm a father. You don't have to be a father. You can be a mother. You can just be a human being. But, but as a parent, you read that story closely. Abraham's got Isaac. He's carrying the wood for the sacrifice, knowing he's going to slit his son's throat. Because Isaac turns to him and says, Dad, we got everything we need, but where's the sacrifice? Can you imagine that ripping your heart out as a father? A son, you're the sacrifice. I'm going to kill you. Then you go to Hebrews. What does it say in Hebrews? Abraham believed he was going to slit Isaac's throat, pour his blood out on that altar, and that God would raise him from the dead. Why? Because God had said Isaac is the heir. Well, he could not be dead to be the heir. He had to be alive. And so for whatever reason, God had told Abraham, kill him. And Abraham believed God was going to raise him from the dead. And what does that say? You trust God. It, it looks crazy to you, but you trust him. Because he's always doing what's best and what's good. In the midst of the test, in the midst of the fire, Nebuchadnezzar, he rose and he hastened. He said to his counselors, did we not cast three men into the midst of the fire? They said, uh, king, true, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire. They're not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the son of God. Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and he spoke saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out and come here. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the midst of the fire came walking out. And by the way, if you read that story, details, they had tied them up and put them in the, threw them in there, heated up seven times hotter, heated up so that the guys who threw them in were burned, consumed. Jesus is in there walking around with them, laughing, having a good time. Because when they took them out, the Bible says they didn't even smell like smoke. And the only thing burned on them were the ropes they had tied them up with. Do you see being set free by Jesus Christ in that? I hope you do. Because that's what God wants you to see. No matter what your fire is, he's in the middle of it with you. He's in the middle of it with you. He's in the midst of your valley. What Psalm 23 says, Yea, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. And the last one's in the midst of the circumstances. We're not going to read that one story of Elijah. He had his incredible victory over 450 of the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. After that incredible victory on Mount Carmel, over 450 of the prophets of Baal. He's now running scared from a woman named Jezebel. You see the picture? Mountain, the valley. 
mountains, the valley, but God didn't give up on him. It got so bad, Elijah prayed for God to kill him. Just kill me. And God sends his word to him. He sends his word to him. So what does God want you to do? Trust him. Seek to glorify him. The Westminster Catechism says these words. You've heard it. The chief end is to glorify God. Chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Right now it may seem difficult. Did, did your God know that it would be difficult for you right now? The answer is yes. He sees the end from the beginning. Literally, when he was speaking the universe into existence, stars, the Bible says he just said, let's have some stars. When he was speaking the universe into existence, he was watching us this morning at the same time. Whoa. We can't comprehend that. Aren't you glad you can't comprehend it? Because you're not God. So what he says to you is, I've proven myself to be God. Now trust me. We ask the worship team to come back up. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you.